This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Christ has not appointed pastors on the condition that they only teach the church generally from the open pulpit. They are to take charge of each individual sheep. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host, James Dalzell. And we have the privilege today of talking with another uh, mutual friend, Chad Vegas. Chad is the founding pastor of Sovereign Grace Church in Bakersfield, California. He's also the founding board chair of Radius International, which is a missions organization training people to plant churches among unreached people groups. Um, Chad is talking to us today about pastoral visitation. So, Chad, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I'm really thankful to be here. You know, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you be the one to come in and talk to us about this and talk to our listeners about this is because you didn't grow up in a tradition, nor were you trained in a tradition that emphasized pastoral visitation. And I know from talking to you that actually you had a number of reservations and concerns and and some confusion about the practice of pastoral visitation. So I wonder if you could walk us through that a little bit, um, what some of your concerns were, what your background was, because this is, in a sense, all new to you. Yeah, so I grew up in an unbelieving home, became a believer at a, a basically general evangelical church, largely um, um, dispensational, sort of in what you might see in the John MacArthur tradition, though I would say a lot more pragmatic um, in the sense that they the church moved in sort of a seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven church sort of direction. And so I grew up in that as a believer when I became a believer as, as a young adult and eventually ended up in seminary and then pastoral ministry at that church. And I served there for six years. The church had gone before I was hired by them and called the ministry there. The church had gone from being a church of about um, 600 to a church of about 3,500, really within inside of about a year. Um, it was a massive growth trajectory. And we had become sort of a big deal in our city at the time. And that was the that was kind of the background of my church ministry. At, at some point, as my doctrine and my methodology pastorally began to align, in other words, what I was seeing doctrinally um, as a person who was growing in convictions with regard to Reformed theology, as my doctrine there began to align with, hey, what does this look like in pastoral ministry? I realized that I wasn't a good fit for that church any longer. And I left and planted a church that was moving more in the direction that, that, let's say, we were moving in. I mean, the church was sort of in reformation, as were its pastors, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and have been for years, frankly. And so we started to grow together as a church and eventually started these little conferences where we bring some guys out, like, like James has come out, uh, just came out in March. But we had different guys coming out. And one of those men who came to the conferences, who I met through some providential circumstances, was Ian Hamilton. And Ian ended up coming out three times so far to Bakersfield, and we built a good friendship. The first time he came out, he was commenting on how he was thankful for what the Lord was doing. And you know, Ian has a way of speaking. So when, when Ian Hamilton says to me, I'm glad for what the Lord is doing, and he says, don't come down, Chad, don't come down, right? So he, you know, he's trying to encourage us. 
And our elders are sitting around together with him, asking him about his first pastorate. And when we did that, it was in Scotland. He had a parish church there. We asked him about that, and he began to tell us the story of how he, how he realized that the church was really filled with unbelievers. And so he decided to put his hand of the plow with regard to preaching, regard to prayer, and with regard to pastoral visitation. And he told us about pastoral visitation, and some of our guys commented, wow, that sounds, that sounds lovely. That's a bygone era. It was almost like Ian was from another century in mm-hmm. our minds, right? And so we were sitting there listening, and, and he said, well, why don't you do it? And we kind of laughed, right? Well, that, that's just not the kind of thing we do. So he let it go. The next time he came back, he was meeting with us again, And that time he actually read from Calvin's commentary in Acts. And he says, I want to push into this question of pastoral visitation again. And so we said, okay. And then he read this commentary from Acts. And I just want to read a little bit of it from Acts 2020. Yeah, please. He talked about how Paul preached publicly and from house to house. And he read this from Calvin. Christ has not appointed pastors on the condition that they only teach the church generally from the open pulpit. They are to take charge of each individual sheep so that they may bring back to the fold those who wander off. They are to strengthen those who are discouraged and weak, cure the sick, and support the frail and weak. Teaching that is given to everyone together will often grow cold unless it is helped by advice given in private. Therefore, there is no excuse for the negligence of those who preach one sermon and then, as if their task was done, spend the rest of their time in idleness. It is as if their voices were shut up in the sanctuary since they've become completely silent as soon as they leave it. And so Calvin talks about the need for pastors to visit house to house. And as he read that, he then sort of put it down and he read more of that commentary, but I'll just read that. And he looked at us and said, so if we're commanded biblically and by example of the apostles to not only preach the gospel openly in the pulpit, but to do so from house to house, and why aren't you guys being obedient to that? And <laughs> so um, was there an awkward, was there an awkward pause after that? Or uh, <laughs> yeah, it, he did it in a way that I don't know, maybe a Scottish older gentleman can do um, so that you feel like you are encouraged by the confrontation. Right? Okay, good. Um, and so we sat there kind of quietly and I still remember we, we were pushing back on it. And I remember sitting in the, the group of elders and just other um, kind of up-and-coming leadership guys and deacons all sitting there in the room. And and I said, well, Ian, that's that's amazing. And um, we really appreciate what you're saying, but folks in our community just won't accept that practice. I said, we have small groups already. I'm a really social pastor. I spend lots of time with people in the church. But what you're talking about is a bridge too far. People are going to think we're weirdos. They're going to leave. Other people won't come isn't this all a bit much? And as I was saying these things, it was a bit like, you know, having an out of body experience because I'm, I'm seeing these things and almost, almost removed from myself, watching myself say these things, thinking, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) what does this have to do with being obedient to the text? You rail against pragmatism, but now you're giving the ultimate pragmatic answer as to why you don't have to be obedient. And, Mm -hmm. uh, so I realized that then Ian came actually, James, as you did um, in March, Ian okay. came preaching at the conference and we had a Q&A. And during the Q&A, a question was asked and Ian just said right in front of the whole crowd, you know, your pastors ought to be doing pastoral visitation. <laughs> <laughs> just go, and, go into the people. <laughs> he looked at me and he smiled and I started <laughs> laughing. And uh, 
And so then we realized, okay. So the church like responded quite well to that when he said that. Mm. They had to be visiting your homes. And I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. So we basically at that point announced we were going to start doing it. And we went down that road and it's been amazing. And probably every week as I do visitation, I drive away every time thinking to myself, um, I don't know if I was ever more wrong as a pastor in my practice than I was about this issue. That's a powerful comment. And I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna guess that some of our listeners are pastors or elders and are thinking through some of maybe maybe even have some of the same reasons or excuses uh, that you or your elders might have given. Um, if you were beside reading Calvin to them, which is, you know, uniquely powerful in itself, if you could make a plea to the modern pastor or elders who may not be doing this for pastoral visitation. And, and maybe you can comment here in terms of some of the impact that it's had on on other parts of your ministry, whether it's the pulpit or counseling or what have you. Um, how would you make that plea? Yeah, well, I think first I, I would say our cultural assessment could not have been further from the truth. And, th- and that sounds strange, but when we announced pastoral visitation, I taught on it a bit. I sent a newsletter on it. I kind of alleviated some fears. We're not going to come to your house unannounced. Um, Look into your checkbook. and (laughs) right, Exactly. We're going to make appointments. We're not going to come and, you know, begin by coming to your house and sort of with, you know, per the Richard Baxter model, start asking you a bunch of difficult catechism questions and seeing how you're doing. We really want to come and pray for you and speak with you and get to know you and read scripture with you and, and, and we'll make appointments. As we did that, um, I would say our people began to clamor for the appointment. So our appointment calendar fills up really fast. I did have to alleviate a few fears, but the, maj- the vast majority of our folks were eager to have us visit them. They were joyful to receive us in their homes and they absolutely love it. And we hear about it from lots of people about that. So that was one thing I realized. Second, so just on the cultural level, I guess mm. we were wrong. I think people actually long for their pastors to know them and to know their pastors. And I think we were just we were just using a very pragmatic kind of church growth model in more ways than we thought we were. I think secondly, we learned that our pastoral ministry was truncated by our failure to do visitation. So we're supposed to give an account for people's souls according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, but we just didn't know our members in the manner that we ought to know them. Our church has been growing. And so at one point when we planted the church, the whole church could meet in my home. I mean, they could, they could meet around my dinner table at one point, right? And then eventually in my home. And now, obviously, our church has grown to the size where um, unless I'm doing visitation, there's no way I'm going to know them all. Third, we, we learned that our people, um, I think this is impressed upon us every time we go, how much more important it is that we preach Christ and Him crucified, not only from the pulpit, but in their homes, because the more we visit their homes, um, the more the sort of lesson is crystallized for us that sin and its consequences that plagues them um, can only be answered by the verities of the gospel. We've, we've always known that's true, but we haven't felt the weight of it like we feel through pastoral visitation. I think the fourth thing we learned is that, um, that we need Jesus to pray for them, <laughs> that our prayers are always going to be insufficient, that we need the Holy Spirit um, who knows both their hearts and the mind of the Lord better than any of us do, to pray for them, that even our prayers um, are insufficient. And we've learned to pray more for them and more specifically, but we've also come to the realization that we need the Son 
praying, interceding. We need the Holy Spirit. We just feel the weight of that in a way that we haven't, we hadn't before. I think fifth, um, we just learned that we're really utterly without resource in and of ourselves to answer the need of our members. So every living room we sit in provides another story that causes the weight of pastoral ministry to sort of bear down on us with even greater force. Um, and so we need Christ to intercede for his people. Sixth, we learned humility from the faith of our people. I think as a pastor, I keep being challenged by how um, incredibly faithful some of our people are. We sit with some of them and they're, they're in the midst of illness, loneliness, devastating loss. I was unaware of how many of our members were in pretty abject poverty um, to the degree that they were. I was unaware of how many of our members were helping other members in our church financially or through suffering with illness. And it's humbling to learn how the body's caring for one another, to learn how people are suffering and trusting the Lord, and humbling to realize I'm standing in the pulpit without awareness of that. Mm. So I think those are the big lessons. And, and that last one about standing in the pulpit without awareness of that sort of has come home in a way that's been changing my preaching. And our guys kept, we, we do an evaluation. So basically, Sunday morning, I preach. Every Tuesday, we have staff meeting. And then afterwards, I go to lunch with a group of guys who are sort of teachers in the church, and they critique my sermon, right? And we walk through it. And, and just so I can learn and grow, as, and, and they can as well, they were commenting on, man, your, your preaching has really been changing in helpful ways. And um, I wasn't sure why that was the case. I wasn't even connecting it to the pastoral visitation, but I was reading Owen's volume 16 on the church. And in chapter five of volume 16 in Owen, he talks about the special duty of pastors of the church. He talks about things that are required for the work and duty of pastoral preaching. And he lists five items, but the fourth one stuck out to me and it was the realization, oh, this is what's changing my preaching. He says, Fourth, a prudent pastor's need or a need a prudent and diligent consideration of the state of the flock over which any man is set, as unto their strength or weakness, their growth or defect in knowledge, the measure of their attainments requiring either milk or strong meat, their temptations and duties, their spiritual decays and thrivings, and that not only in general, but as near as may be with respect unto all the individual members of the church. Without a due regard unto these things, men preach at random, uncertainly fighting like those that beat the air, preaching sermons not designed for the advantage of them to whom they are preached, insisting on general doctrines not leveled to the condition of the auditory, hmm. speaking what men can without consideration of what they ought, are things that will make men weary of preaching. I thought that was really helpful and probably one of those things that's been most impacted by a pastoral visitation. Chad, you, you said something a little bit earlier, and I thought it might be a good lead-in to a description of, of what pastoral visitation looks like in your context. You, you said earlier that you, um, you aren't doing what uh, uh, the kind of Richard Baxter model. I think for a lot of our listeners, if they've been exposed at all to pastoral visitation, uh, whether in practice or, or even just in theory— it's probably been through the the Richard Baxter reform pastor uh, model, and so I wonder if you could draw that out a little bit, and then and then as a kind of jumping off point, use that to say what do you do if you don't do that? What is that that you don't sure. do? Why don't you do it? And then and then what do you do when you're when you're sitting in 
uh, the home of, of, of someone from your church? Sure. I find Richard Baxter's pastoral practice and the reformed pastor in many ways helpful, but in many ways to be quite fit for Richard Baxter's neonomian understanding of the gospel. And it just gets heavy handed, in my opinion. And so we pushed Ian on that, actually. I, I, one of the questions I asked him was, hey, I don't want to go into people's homes, first of all, who I really don't know as well as I should, to my shame, and kind of come in heavy. I, and Ian, Ian responded, hey, listen, you, you should never do that. He said, um, I, I, here's what my advice is to you. Uh, you don't know what's happening in their lives or what happened even on that day that you're showing up to visit. You have no idea what they're going through or what they went through that day. So you ought to go in there humbly. Um, you ought to go in there prayerfully. You ought to go in there as a learner. And so go in, sit down with them. And if they had a rough day, you might end up talking about the game and praying for them that's on and go home, right? Um, but go in there with the plan to just um, get to know them, to read scripture with them, to pray for them. And so our, our approach has largely been, we have an appointment, we show up, um, we have some chit chat just to see how things are going in their day and in you know this period of their lives. And, and then uh, we read a psalm. Like last night when I was doing visitation, I read um, with some new members, I read Psalm 1, we prayed, and then we just asked them, how, how are things going in your life and what specific ways can we be praying for you? They told us those things. We, we write them down so we can keep a log and keep praying for those things and then revisit them when we visit again. And then we prayed for those things with them and then, then we were out. Sometimes that goes 30 minutes. Sometimes that goes an hour and a half, depending on how life is going. But typically it's about 30 to 45 minutes probably of time. Um, it can be as short as 20, but that's probably the shortest it's been. And so, you know, in the second round with people in a year like this, we were asking them, Hey, what do you see God doing in your life that you're really encouraged by that you're really thankful for? So yeah, we still want to pray for things in your life, but we would love to hear how the Lord is working in your life or family or church in a way that's encouraging you. Um, we inevitably always get asked about family worship because most people feel very awkward about, and especially men feel very awkward about how to lead family worship and what to do. And so we ask them, do you have any questions about your own um, Christian life, your family? And they're, they're usually those kinds of questions. So in other words, you're not lining up all the, all the children uh, <laughs> against the wall and sort of sitting there and, and trying to drill them on, on catechism questions, that, that kind of thing. Correct. But we are getting the children to ask us. I mean, the children love to come and they love to ask us questions, mm -hmm. right? So they can't wait. They, they, so they're they lining you that. up against the wall and asking yeah, exactly. you catechism Cate questions. Catechize questions. the pastor time. That's right. Yeah. So it's our, you're our pastor. I need to know. And the children always ask some questions about heaven. You know, they ask questions about Jesus. They, they ask questions about how can God uh, be three in one. So it, it becomes apparent their their parents are doing some um, catechism with them because the questions they ask are sort of derived from some of those kinds of questions and answers, mm -hmm. uh, which we're, we're thankful for. Mm -hmm. But but generally, um, sometimes tough things are going on, and the kids want to understand why why God is allowing that. Or, mm -hmm. uh, but it's been it's been a really sweet time in that regard. So. If there's someone out there who is sort of on the fence or trying to think through what this might look like, I think you've given some really helpful and concrete advice. Were there any resources, I mean, apart from 
Ian uh, publicly shaming you? Were there any particular <laughs> resources that you found? I mean, you mentioned the Calvin commentary and the Owen work as well that, that sort of make the case for it. But in terms of how you have applied it to your own context, are, are, were there particular resources or are there resources maybe that even you guys have developed that could help someone who's who's working through it on their own? You know, I think most of the resources have just come from me asking pastors who I hear are doing it about how they're doing what they're doing. I don't know that I've, I mean, I read the reform pastor years ago and I do think Baxter has some helpful things in there about it, but he can be, I think too heavy handed at times. Mm. So I, I, I know Brian Croft has some resources though. I haven't spent a lot of time reading some of his, but he has someone visiting, particularly visiting the sick, et cetera. But, but I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss for books on it. The Banner of Truth has a lot of articles in their Banner magazines historically mm-hmm. on pastoral visitations. Um, so I think you could probably go to the Banner of Truth's website and search for articles on pastoral visitation because they, they have quite a few. Um, I've read several of those. Um, that's been helpful. But honestly, building relationships with godly older pastors who are faithful in the ministry um, has been the most helpful to me. And just being able to ask them, how do I handle this? The one thing I would say we've done that's been helpful, though, is I do have scheduling. So we say we go every Monday from 3 to 9 p.m., and we basically schedule people every hour. Mm-hmm. And so we say we basically send out an email saying um, to the membership, you know, saying, here are the calendar dates, here are the slots, kind of tell us what works for you, and we just fill them in the slots and then keep track of who's filling in. That's been really helpful for making appointments and just visiting them. And we just block that one day. There are some people who can't do Monday. So we'll do a special, like we'll go on a Sunday or a Thursday or whatever, if they need it, or we'll go in the morning if they need it. But generally that's been the pattern is just to set Mondays. And so people have um, responded quite well to that. Chad, thanks for giving us some of your time today. This has been really helpful to hear, and uh, I I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of our listeners. So thank you, and we uh, certainly are encouraged to hear what the Lord's doing out there in Bakersfield. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology on the Go. We hope it was a help to you. For those of you who are interested in learning more about some of the topics that Chad covered, we'd like to give you the opportunity to win a copy of the book, The Elder and His Work by David Dixon. It's an older book from the 19th century, and it's been republished with an introduction and very helpful book. We'll touch on some of the same themes that Chad touched on, and actually even even some more. It's it's broader than just visitation. So in any case, if you're interested in that, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link. There'll be a button there for you to enter and possibly win The Elder and His Work by David Dixon. We'd like to thank you for listening. We hope that you'll recommend this podcast to others whom you think it might help. Uh, We always look forward to hearing from our listeners. So if you have feedback, please send it to us. If you're able to donate to help the ongoing work we're doing here, you can do that at placefortruth.org. There's a donate button or also alliancenet.org. And thanks for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.